You're listening to the Casting for Fun podcast, the show that talks about entertainment, sports, music, and inspirational stories for all to enjoy. We're glad you could join us today. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Now, here is your host, Albert Pineda. Welcome, everybody, to the Casting for Fun podcast. I am your host, Albert Pineda. And for this week's episode, it is going to be dedicated entirely to the amazing Spider-Man for his 60th anniversary. So happy 60th anniversary to my favorite superhero imprint. Uh, The Amazing Spider-Man made his debut in Amazing Fantasy 15, which came out in the summer of 1962. So we have, we are, this is the 60th anniversary of the Spider-Man character. And there's so many fascinating, wonderful, great, uh, aspects of his history, his creation, everything that uh, Stan Lee and Steve Ditko went through together to to create the character and the wonderful, amazing adventures he's been on, both in print, uh, on the small screen for cartoons, and then, of course, on the big screen, which I'm sure most people are familiar with him from. So I wanted to do this podcast just to honor Spider-Man, to talk about him, his adventures, all the cool things, why I love the character so much. And yeah, it should be a really uh, cool conversation. I'm going to have some audio clips, pre-recorded messages from good friends talking about what they love about Spider-Man as well. And, and lastly, I also wanted to talk about the time that I did get to meet Stan Lee and have him sign my copy of Amazing Fantasy 15, which isn't the original print from the 60s. So it's it's not worth thousands of dollars. No, sorry. It's it's a reprint from the 90s. It only, it's probably only worth maybe like 10 bucks or it might be worth some more money now that Stan's passed away. Um so yeah, yeah. So that's what this episode's going to be about. Uh, me talking about Spider Man and how much I love the character. Uh, before I get into Spider Man talk, I do want to share a little bit of music news because you know, if you've been following the podcast, you know that I love talking about all my interests, and music is definitely one of my major interests. And it just so happens that one of my favorite bands just released a new album yesterday. Uh, I'm, I'm recording this on Saturday evening, August the 20th. On August 19th, Friday, uh, the sixth album from local L.A. band, Silver Sun Pickups, was released called The Physical Thrills. So I wanted to give a shout out to this band for releasing their sixth album. Uh, they're one of my favorite bands, and the album is really good. Uh, there could be a good number of listeners who aren't familiar with the band, so I wanted to give this plug in for them because I think they're great. Uh, their new album, Physical Thrills, it starts out a little slow. But uh, it does pick up. It, they do incorporate more of their indie rock sound, which is a really cool sound that they've been doing all these years, uh, into some of their other songs on the album. Uh, one of the songs in particular that I really, really like is uh, Alone on the Hill, uh, which features uh, lead vocals by the bassist uh, Nikki Moninger, which is a really cool song to hear. I mean, uh, really personal, really deep song for her, which is really cool. Uh, she shared previously vocal duties with uh, the lead singer of the band, Brian Albert, uh, Albert on um, the song uh, Circadian Rhythm, which was from one of their previous albums. So it was kind of cool to la- let her practice her vocal chops on one of the songs. The, the rest of the album's great. I re- highly recommend it. It's a really cool listen. So yes, Physical Thrills from the Silver, Pum- Silver Sun Pickups has just been released. Uh, great. Okay, so I'm going to take just a little bit of a break, and then I'll come back with... Uh, some Spider-Man talk. Really excited for that. Thank you again for, for listening to this week's episode of the Captain Fun Podcast. Back in just a little bit. Well, 
Welcome back, everybody, to the Casting for Fun podcast. For this segment of the the Spider-Man 60th anniversary show, uh, I wanted to share audio clips from uh, some of my very good friends who are previous guests of the podcast, uh, Stephen Cable and Eddie Ramirez, to share their thoughts on the the web slinger, on on Spidey. And it's really great to to get their opinions and, you know, get get their thoughts on why Spider-Man is so great and why he's such a cultural icon to this day. So first, we're going to go ahead and jump into uh, Steven's comments. This is what Steven had to say when I asked him to leave just a message about Spider-Man and what he loves about uh, the superhero. Albert, so one of my favorite things about Spider-Man is what Marvel has done with uh, the newest Spider-Man with Tom Holland. Um, I've always enjoyed that Spider-Man was a teenager and was a kid and acted like a kid. And I feel like the first couple Spider-Mans with uh, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield kind of missed that mark. They were kind of a more grown-up character. And here with Tom Holland, you see him as a kid. They treat him as a kid. He is a kid. Um, and you, you see all those aspects of a teenager in him as he's learning his new roles and his new abilities. And you can kind of see him grow from the first moment he came in, um, in civil war all the way to the last movie, you know, the progression of him being Spider-Man. And it's totally awesome to see him go from that teenager to the more mature teenager that he is in the most recent Spider-Man. Um, so that's the thing that like has really stuck out to me about um, Spider-Man and especially um, with Tom Holland's Spider-Man is just how they actually did make him a teenager and the acting was at a teenage level and all the way up and you can really see the growth and how the other characters interacted with him and, t- and taught him and especially with Tony Stark and, and their relationship together. Um, that's definitely... Um, my favorite thing about Spider-Man, um, in, in, especially in the most recent movies, for sure. Um, so I hope this helps. So Stephen brings up some excellent points that I really love, uh, particularly about Tom Holland's uh, <clears throat> interpretation of Spider-Man. I love all the live-action actors. I love all the act- live-action movies. I would agree that some are better than others, but I, I would say that Amazing Spider-Man 2 the one that has a uh, uh, Jamie Foxx as Electro, uh, where you know spoilers, uh, where Emma Stone's Gwen Stacy dies, I think is actually underrated. I think it's actually better than a lot of fans uh, suggest that it is. But uh, that being said, yes, I love the Tom Holland version. He's probably my favorite uh, live action Spider Man, and I love what Stephen had said about the character growth and progression he goes through throughout the movies. I especially love the scene in uh, No Way Home. No, I apologize. No, No Way Home is my favorite one for sure. Uh, Far from home. Far From Home is the one where he goes to Europe. Uh, actually, fun fact, in the, in that movie, they show his passport and show that Peter Parker's birthday is August 10th. So I think that's why Marvel was kind of making a big deal about this month being like you know the month to really celebrate uh, Spider-Man's anniversary since, again, the, the MCU Spider-Man has his birthday this month on August the 10th. But anyways, uh, that scene where he's just physically and emotionally defeated uh, and then Happy Hogan comes out, you know, in his jet to pep him up, to talk, talk him up, to help him up uh, after being just completely defeated. Uh, and again, I, I love John Favreau. I think he's an amazing actor. I saw that whole sequence where he's able to, you know, inspire him to, to rise to the occasion that, you know, remind him that Tony Stark had faith in you, that you could be the greatest of all the superheroes was really cool to see. 
So yeah, I definitely agree with Stephen's uh, thoughts about how the MCU has portrayed a younger uh, Spider-Man that we've gotten to see progress and become uh, the hero that he is, which is really cool. Okay, so let me go ahead and throw in Eddie's comments. This is what Eddie had to say about uh, Spider-Man. Hey, how's it going, Albert? I appreciate you inviting me back um, to talk about the 60th anniversary of Spider-Man and just uh, the culture impact that I mean that it's had. I mean, Spider-Man, oh man, like uh, outside the country, you know, like across the world, like you know characters from Batman to Spider-Man, Superman, like these are like comic book characters that are crossovers regardless of culture, regardless of time and era. Um, you know, what Stanley and uh, Steve Ditko, I believe, uh, was the other co-writer. Um, I mean, they created something that's, you know, someone that's relatable in so many ways, so humanistic, but at the same time, like the fantasy of Spider-Man, what it means to have the responsibility and like that, you know, the, the responsibility of power and what that means to someone who didn't have it before can now have the respons responsibility of defending so many people, so many innocent people. So my take on just like uh you know like what the 60th anniversary means it's it's a big deal um you know like that's something that i'm very happy to know exists um from all media platforms um i think uh, spider-man definitely is here to stay for a very long time you know with 60 years in i mean the comics has had so much like i never really read the comics until and I would dab in them. I, I, I remember I started with um, Amazing Spider-Man. This is when actually the the uh, Tom Garfield uh, Spider-Man came out. Because um, I really like the, you know, oh, Amazing Spider-Man. Like, okay, cool. It's like a different take on it. It's kind of like, you know, Dark Knight with Batman. Like, oh, that's a different, like, name for Spider-Man. You know, like the full bit. So I remember I read Amazing Spider-Man comics and... Um, I never read all the series, but I, I'll say that as I just kind of picked through them, I really enjoyed the writing. I really appreciate like how the movies try to pay homage to a lot of the old, um, a lot of the old costumes and the details like that. You know, it never felt like so superficial after that. Um, especially seeing like the whole Gwen Stacy thing. I never had heard of her until the Garfield movies came out. And then, you know, to go back to the comics and just uh, read the night Gwen Stacy died, like I think that was uh, Spider-Man, no, Amazing Spider-Man 121. Um, yeah, it, it, it was it was something else. It, it was like, dang, like, you know, before, um, you know, before, you know, anything else in college, like, you know, like, he already suffered through so much, you know, aside from Uncle Ben and, like, the hardships, you know, like, I think he was, like, an orphan before um, in the comics. So, you know, like, he really comes from a spot of, like, you know, like, a really dark, lonely history. And, and maybe that explained a lot of just who he was about being so human and, you know, how we can all identify with just coming from something to nothing, uh, from uh, nothing to something and just... You know, uh, really appreciating that that feel of Spider-Man. What I love most about the TV series is that you know, I grew up on um, Spider-Man. You know, the comics. You know, like or uh, the TV show. You know, like X-Men, 
and uh, you know the old, old Batman uh, cartoon in the '90s. But like, what I really liked about Spider-Man is that it started having crossovers with the X-Men and just other Marvel characters. Um, I remember, I think it was like him and like Iron Man were in an episode. But I didn't even know who Iron Man was. I just it was just some dude in a suit. Like, okay, just a you know, kind of like that sidekick for Spider-Man. You know, go figure. A guy who didn't you know didn't know much about comics back then. You know, I'm a '90s boy, so I never like. Putting put two and two together until later on, I'm like, oh, like he really did have all these heroes in the cartoon. It was really cool. I mean, the '90s had some of the best cartoon stories for comics, and Spider-Man was right up there, you know, you know, with Osborn and you know Kingpin, and you know all the characters that would come in and out um, through every episode, and um, it, it was really cool, like to see that, and. Um, uh, I, I'm really happy that even the new generation they get to see the new like new improved like Spider-Man like cartoons. Um, that was really awesome to see how it continued. You know, especially with the resurgence of like the movies, it just it was really cool to see like all this like Spider-Man hype again because uh, that's like to me Marvel's Batman. You know, like Batman has you know big you know status in in dc comic universe just like superman but like spider-man really stands out above all of them you know you have x-men but that's a collective you know spider-man is like the guy you know you really think about when you think marvel you know i'll also say this about like the comics it's a you know like it's a nice breeding ground to introduce like various storylines and um i think the biggest one that i really appreciated was um you know, I started hearing about Miles Morales like prior to the spy into the Spider Verse coming out, and I was kind of wondering like, okay, like what uh, is this? Is this Peter? Well, like, what is this? And it's like, oh no, Miles Morales, it's its own thing. And I'm like, what the heck? And you know, it's just so fascinating that you know, it's it's like Spider Man's a symbol. Like he's a mask, he's a costume. Anyone could be Spider Man if they're you know they're big with the, the you know the the radioactive spiders. So like it was really cool to like get different takes, but yet all within the Spider-Verse where, you know, Spider-Man is an influence and that's how he gets his, his costume. And, you know, he has this shadow, this symbol looking over him. Like, will I be able to, like, keep up and um, do what's Peter represented and then find his own path, you know? So it's really cool to see this different take in the comics translate into then video games and movies. Um, to me, uh, Into the Spider-Verse is still arguably the best uh, Spider-Man movie um, that's been out in theaters. I think everything about it just felt like the true like spirit of Spider-Man. Um, not to disrespect the other movies, but it was just something about the Spider-Verse that I mean, I literally go back and rewatch that over and over again, and it, it was just nice to see a Spider-Man story without, you know, all these extra characters from, like, the Marvel Universe. It didn't have to connect with anything, just its own thing, and it was really nice to just get a different uh, point of view and aspect of Spider-Man, the character. You know, with all the movies, I mean, we almost had three trilogies of Spider-Man. Um, you now Garfield kind of got, got the short end of the stick, and... You know, he only had two movies, and deservingly so, I just felt like the movies didn't translate for a trilogy because, you know, the characters that were put around Garfield in terms of Spider-Man just weren't really much. I mean, aside from uh, Gwen and, and, and Peter, it was like, the movies fell flat, but I'll always say this, I honestly think Garfield's probably my favorite Spider-Man of the three. Um, in terms of like the actor playing the character, I think Andrew Garfield's interpretation was awesome. Um, 
I, I really really liked how he how he brought uh, you know different layers some uh, the Tom Holland spider-man you know what's cool about him is um, you know he's he's in this sandbox with all the MCU so you get to like um, appreciate like where all those movies are going you know with um, you know no way home and um, you know homecoming and stuff like that so it was really nice to get to see like a comic-y spider-man where it's like everyone's involved you know you got the ins and outs of other characters and you know he's still like this young kid uh trying to find his place but still naive but yet you know trying to grow up to be an adult and all that so it was really cool to see that um we even got that whole culmination of all three spider-man you know that's like a once in a lifetime thing where you get all the characters to come back in one movie with all the original actors so that was nice to see um but definitely out of all of them i would have uh, andrew garfield as a uh, my favorite spider-man um interpretation for sure i look forward to just seeing where spider-man goes i mean you know with 60 years with and counting like spider-man isn't going anywhere clearly i mean the the popularity of this character has slowly like blown up and you know i know they're trying to do like spider man type movies you know they had uh, venom and other characters and um, sounds like there's more on the way so there could be a, a lot of potential for that but in the end it's all about spider-man and what spider-man brings to the table is like honestly like a, a joyful character to watch with so much more depth than what people think you know he goes well beyond mary jane and aunt may stuff like there's a, a whole ton that's um, definitely um, um, something to share between Spider-Man and us in terms of like characters and his stories, um, his inner thoughts and, you know, just where it goes. So I look forward to what they're, they create, obviously, in the MCU related stuff, um, but also just um, even standalones. I hope we do get some more standalones. I know we're getting the into the Spider-Verse Part 2. Um, I'm so excited for that one. I think um, that's just going to just lead the way for a, a full-on live-action Miles Morales movie at some point. Uh, this this character is super popular right now. Why not? Um, it'll be nice to see if they can ever do that at some point. Thanks again, Albert, for um, inviting me back to talk about the 60th anniversary of Spider-Man and just kind of sharing my thoughts on the overall feel of the character, you know, with his X-Men crossovers and cartoons um, to Marvel crossovers in the movies and cartoons and obviously the comics. Um, it's something amazing that, you know, Stanley and Steve Dicko have created. And honestly, I look forward to just seeing how uh, between now and the 65th anniversary, what comes up and what we can all enjoy from The Amazing Spider-Man. So Eddie brought up some really excellent points, too, that I wanted to touch on some of the things he had mentioned and discussed <clears throat> about Spider-Man just being the, a cultural icon that he is and just being known throughout the world. I got to witness that firsthand when I was uh, serving as a missionary for the church in Brazil. Uh, you know, in Brazil, in Brazil, they call him Omar Aranha. So the man spider <laughs> and um, yeah, they absolutely know who he is and he's so popular. And I mean, like, you know, you stick out your, your finger, the hand wish, the hand signal thing of like shooting out webs. I mean, they know what that is. It's really, really cool. And when I was there, this would have been in the year 2000, 2001. So before the, the first uh, uh, Tobey Maguire movie. Uh, so it's at, it would be interesting to see where his popularity is now, given all the additional movies we've had and then 
with the Avengers movies, so more and more characters being well-known. But my guess is the Brazilians probably still love them as much as they did uh, 20 years ago when I was there, or 21, 22 years ago. Uh, you know, it's interesting to me that Eddie would bring up the, the Gwen, that for Gwen Stacy storyline from the comics. I'm going to touch on that a lot more, so stay tuned for that portion of it. Uh, but again, it's interesting to hear that another fan of Spider-Man, Eddie, would consider that to be a really significant story arc from the comics. And to hear more about what he thinks, you know, could be in line for the future of Spider-Man, which is really exciting and cool to hear about that. Uh, I bought my very first Spider-Man comic back in the early 90s. So I want to say 1990. And, you know, two years after that, in 1992, they were celebrating the 30th anniversary of Spider-Man. So I've been a fan for 32 plus years now. And so it's so crazy to me to think, hey, I can remember distinctly when they were celebrating 30 years of Spider-Man. And now we're here at 60. Uh, and I'm hoping that I'll definitely be around for the 90th anniversary of Spider-Man. That would put me at, uh, I don't want to do the math, but <laughs> uh, yeah, so Spider-Man's got a bright future ahead of him. And you know, well, one other aspect of Spider-Man that I wanted to touch on that we haven't really discussed are the rides. Uh, you know, at Disney's California Adventure, if you guys had a chance to go, definitely check out the, the Spider-Man ride, the Web Slingers at uh, uh, the Avengers Campus. It's really cool and really fun, kind of like spider-man's version of the the toy story ride where you're kind of like uh uh shooting for targets it's actually pretty cool and fun but the ride i would especially recommend if you can make your way to universal studios in orlando florida would be the spider-man ride there which is based off of the the 90, 90s uh, animated show that ride was so much fun oh i absolutely love that ride that was so cool uh check it out on youtube you can actually stream or watch videos of uh people who post uh going on the rides you can kind of get a feel of what it's like but to be honest that video doesn't do it justice so i would say yes make your way to universal orlando just to ride that spider-man ride <laughs> uh so yeah it'll be interesting to see where the future holds what uh additional movies come out where the comic book stories go and uh to see newer characters emerge you know to potentially see a live action uh, miles morales to potentially also see a live action spider gwen i think would be really great too so definitely looking forward to what uh, is in the, in the pipeline for Spider-Man. Cool. So thank you for listening to this uh, segment of the show. And huge thank you to Stephen Cable and Eddie Ramirez for contributing their thoughts. I'm going to take another break and I'll be back more with my uh, 60th anniversary of Spider-Man on Welcome back, everybody, to the Casting for Fun podcast. So for this segment, I want to talk about the, the history of the creation of the Spider-Man character, which, again, I think is always a really fascinating history to revisit and to uh, discuss again. So I want to go ahead and share my thoughts with you and share the story as well, which, again, is a publicly available story. So, I mean, most people who wanted to do the, the research could find out this information. And it's pretty cool that a lot of this has been documented through various interviews that Stanley has done throughout his life when he was still with us. So it's pretty cool that we can go back and uh, listen to some of his uh, uh, rememberings of uh, how it actually came about. And of course, I get to share my interpretation based on all the interviews I've listened to uh, with Stan recount recounting the, the story of how Spider-Man was created. So uh, Stan had been uh, employed by Timely Comics first, which eventually became Marvel Comics. And he wasn't too happy, according to what he had said in various interviews uh, with his uh, situation with the company, that he wasn't writing the stories he wanted to write. So at the behest of his wife, Joan, 
who told him, hey, why don't you go ahead and write one, at least one story, one book entirely your way. And if it's a failure, if you get fired, whatever happens, you'll at least be able to leave with your held, head held high, knowing you did it exactly the way you wanted to. And he took his wife's advice and did it. And the story that actually came out of that was uh, Fantastic Four number one. And the Fantastic Four are kind of an interesting uh, story with them because I think they're actually a precursor to how Stan would actually eventually go about creating the Spider-Man character because the Fantastic Four were very unconventional at the time. You know, so they were a dysfunctional family that fought all the time, that argued, uh, that weren't getting along, just like you know your traditional families <laughs> that you obviously still love each other, but continually fight and have in arguments, but somehow they're able to make it work in being superheroes. So the Spider-Man character was very much, I think, along those same lines as being a very unconventional character for the comic book world at the time. Uh, Stan has uh, done an interview with a, a commencement speech that he did for a university telling the story of how he created the Spider-Man character, which I think is really fascinating. So according to what he had said in a commencement speech to students graduating, he said that he had pitched the idea to his publisher at the time of an average Joe teenager who would get powers accidentally, has normal everyday problems, uh, and is named after spiders who people just inherently dislike. And his publisher hated it. I mean, he said, that's a bad idea. You know, uh, superheroes aren't teenagers. They don't have everyday problems like trying to find dates and being able to pay their rent. And people hate spiders. Why would anyone want to read a book called a hero called Spider-Man? But Stan stuck to his guns and, you know, followed the, the advice that his wife had given him years before. And, you know, for the final book of the amazing fantasy storyline, he pitched the or wrote the idea of Spider-Man with his co-creator and artist, Steve Dicko. And again, Amazing Fantasy 15 was on the chopping block. It was gonna be canceled anyways, but they went ahead and went forward with their vision and it was a huge hit, it was a huge su success. And then uh, <laughs> it's funny, so he jokingly told the, the students at the commencement speech uh, where he was speaking that his publisher after the fact said, hey Stan, do you remember that superhero that I totally loved? And uh, <laughs> I thought was always a great idea from the very beginning. Yeah, we're gonna do a whole uh, story, his own comic line starring him. Uh, called The Amazing Spider-Man, <laughs> which again, I always thought was really funny that, you know, Stan believed from the beginning that it was going to work and he didn't want to let anyone persuade him otherwise to say, no, you can't do this. So he, he in the commencement speech, he made it clear to the students, like, you know, not every cockamamie idea you come up with is going to be successful and great and change the world. But if you strongly, firmly believe in something that you should never back away, uh, because other people are telling you to, that you should stick to your guns, stick to your convention, convention, convictions, and uh, do what you love, because that's ultimately how we would find happiness in this life, to doing what we love. And he loved writing, and he loved writing his way. So that was a really cool thing, I thought, that, you know, Stan would create an unconventional character that would just resonate with the readers. And, you know, me, and not even born yet in the 60s, <laughs> born in 1980, um, when I was eventually introduced to the Spider-Man character, I think all those attributes that made him so popular with teenagers back in the 60s is, is what resonated with me. You know, being the average Joe hero, uh, nothing particularly special, but able to do something great with what's been given to you. Uh, having everyday problems, uh, feeling inadequate amongst your, your peers, but being able to be a hero nonetheless. So I think 
all those reasons and more, and because of how uh, quippy and how funny Spider-Man can be, were the reasons why I resonated with the character more so than any other superhero. Uh, some of my favorite Spider-Man comics that I wanted to share with you. Uh, in the 90s, there, there was a story arc called the, the Maximum Carnage, which dealt with uh, Spider-Man having to begrudgingly team up with his former nemesis, Venom, to take on Carnage. If you've seen the recent Tom Hardy and Woody Harrelson Venom, Let There Be Carnage movie, you might be kind of familiar with that. Uh, it was a really cool crossover event that went through all the Spider-Man titles. So it was kind of fun that as a teenager, uh, you would buy Amazing Spider-Man and then to get one part of the story, then you would have to buy the Spectacular Spider-Man which was a completely different comic book line, but it, the story crossed over to that Spider-Man uh, series. And then you'd have to buy the web of Spider-Man and then the one just simply called Spider-Man. So it was kind of cool that every week or every two weeks you were getting the next part of the story and you had to buy the next uh, series of Spider-Man comics to, to get it all. So it was kind of cool and kind of exciting uh, that they did it that way. Uh, crossover event featuring all the Spider-Man titles. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man 15. This was an old issue from the, the 60s. That was the debut issue of the Kingpin. But uh, a lot of the storylines that were taken from Spider-Man 2, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie with uh, Dr. Octopus, which many consider to be the best Spider-Man movie, uh, was taken from that particular issue. You know, going back to the whole concept and idea of uh, Spider-Man uh, begrudgingly being a hero or not being able to because, you know, he has to give up his personal life and He's struggling with uh, girl problems and his job that he ultimately quits being Spider-Man and he's uh, called back into action through inspiration, which is really, really cool. So, again, similar to how we saw in the movie, I think the movie did a really good adaptation of that particular issue of Amazing Spider-Man. So Amazing Spider-Man 50 is definitely a great one to check out. Um, it's pretty cool that a lot of these old issues from the 60s, you can find reprints. Like if you search on eBay or Amazon, you can find these issues for, for uh, affordable prices. So you're not going to be paying like the collective price for the original print. Uh, so it's cool. You can still, and then even digitally, you can buy comics digitally, which is really cool. Uh, so that <clears throat> you can buy like through um, Kindle or any type of like book reader. So a, a great way to you know, get into the, the hobby of collecting comics. Of course, I mean... Uh, digital printing is never substitute for the actual book itself. But again, it's really cool that these stories are very accessible and very easy to get a, a hold of. The Ultimate Spider-Man story arc, which started in the, the year 2000, it was kind of a way to relaunch the character, to reintroduce them to new readers for the new millennium, which was uh, really cool to see, to kind of like bring Spider-Man back to his roots of being a, a teenage superhero, but in the modern day versus being in the 60s when Stan Stanley first created him. So it was kind of cool to kind of get like a, a newer modern uptake of Spider-Man. Uh, so the ultimate Spider-Man storyline is one I would definitely recommend as well. And um, yeah, yeah. So there's so many great Spider-Man stories over the years. You can't really go wrong. There's so many great ones that I, I personally have enjoyed and I know many fans as, as well. Uh, so I want to touch on another aspect of Spider-Man lore, which I think is really fascinating, really interesting. I'm going to take just a little bit of break and I'm going to dive into this particular topic, which is the, the story part of the death of Gwen Stacy, which I think is a really fascinating aspect of the lore of Spider-Man. So stay tuned. I'll be back in just a little bit with more of the Casting for Fun podcast.
Welcome back, everybody, to the Passing Her Blood Podcast. So for this segment, I'm going to be talking about an aspect of the, the lore of Spider-Man, which I find really fascinating, maybe even the most fascinating aspect of this whole lore and whole history, which is the death of Gwen Stacy and everything that was going on with Marvel Comics at the time, which, again, changed comics uh, for better or for worse, depending on your point of view. But it definitely had a huge impact on not just the character of Spider-Man, but how comic books were written and published moving forward after that. So throughout the 60s, Spider-Man was written by Stan Lee and drawn by uh, Steve Ditko. And the two of them together, I believe, created the Gwen Stacy character. And then as is common with uh, uh, comic books being written, you know, you have your writing and uh, uh, artist team change. So Stan Lee teamed up with another artist named uh, John Romita Sr., to create the Mary Jane character. So they had two potential love interests for Peter Parker. And from what I've read in interviews that Stan, or seen in interviews that Stan Lee has done, particularly with a notable comic book fan, uh, Kevin Smith, that uh, Stan loved the idea of having a love triangle, as it were, for, for Peter Parker, because I guess he was really fascinated and loved the concept of Archie. If you're familiar with Archie comics, uh, uh, Archie had the longest for his whole history, I guess, couldn't decide between his two love interests, which were Betty and Veronica, to kind of represent two polar opposite type of girls. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of interesting that a lot of girls, I think, kind of fit into with those characteristics of either the Betty character or the Veronica character. And it could be kind of interesting to see who you're more interested in, what type of uh, attributes from, from those particular girls. In fact, even with my own wife, Allison, uh, I think she demonstrates characteristics from both characters, but I think she would probably be more of a Veronica than a Betty. <laughs> uh, Betty was kind of like, you know, the sweet, innocent, kind of like bookworm, everyday, like girl next door, whereas the Veronica was like the firecracker, the knockout, the very like a uh, uh, spunky, like um, uh, type of girl like that. So definitely uh, Mary Jane and, and Gwen Stacy were completely different characters. And uh, uh after Spider, after Stan Lee had stepped down from writing Amazing Spider-Man, he was taken over by uh, a Marvel artist, I'm sorry, a Marvel writer by the name of Jerry Conway, who took over the job in the early 70s when he was only 19 years old, which is so incredible to me to think that, you know, a 19-year-old kid was writing for Amazing Spider-Man. And during his run with the, the comic book, so many significant major milestones and events occurred in the life of Spider-Man, in the Spider-Man's uh, comic books while he was writing it. And uh, Jerry Conway has made it clear in podcasts and other media that I've listened to and read that uh, he was a huge, huge fan of Mary Jane. He thought Mary Jane should definitely be the love interest. He didn't really care for Gwen Stacy as a character. Uh, so so Stan Lee stepped down as the writer of Amazing Spider-Man. And at the time, he had also been serving as the editor-in-chief of Marvel Comics. And around the same time, he also stepped down from that position so the, the position of head writer for Amazing Spider-Man was taken over by uh, Jerry Conway and the editor-in-chief position of Marvel Comics was taken over by a gentleman by the name of, let's see my notes here, uh, Roy Thomas. So Stan didn't really have much input as it were with the, the characters he had created. Uh, I mean, he was still with Marvel Comics as a, as a you know, a writer and, and, you know, consultant being with the company, but not really having as much creative input as to what was going to be happening with the Spider-Man character moving forward. So it was suggested to uh, Jerry Conway that a major character should be killed off. 
in order to spike interest, you know, you know, raise the stakes. Like, hey, the writer's always looking for new creative things to do with their characters, to keep them fresh, to keep reader interest. So John Romita Sr., who had worked with uh, Stan Lee before, had made that suggestion that they should kill off a major character in the early 70s. And the character that he suggested was actually Aunt May. But uh, Jerry Conway was against that. He didn't like that idea, I guess, because uh, Uncle Ben had already been killed off, that it wasn't really going to be beneficial for Spider-Man to lose another parental figure. So what he suggested, and again, he's also made this known in podcasts that he's done, is that he didn't like the Gwen Stacy character. So he actually wanted to have her die uh, in order to solidify Mary Jane as uh, Spider-Man's main interest, love interest moving forward. So <clears throat> apparently, again, this is where the story gets kind of interesting. So Stan Lee had been asked, uh, I mean, I, again, because he wasn't writing for Spider-Man and he wasn't the editor-in-chief of Marvel Comics anymore, as is my understanding, he was approached and said, hey, I mean, we're thinking of killing off Gwen Stacy. And apparently at the time he was going to Europe for a business trip, and I guess it was kind of thrown on him at spur of the moment. And I guess maybe he didn't quite understand what was happening or didn't really think much of it. But I guess he, uh, uh, people are claiming that Stan gave his permission, his blessing. But my understanding is if he didn't have anything at all to do with the creative process, uh, even if he had protested and said no, I think my guess is, or my understanding was the buck would have stopped with uh, uh, Thomas, Roy Thomas, who had been editor-in-chief at the time. So my understanding is the final decision would have been his. But again, this is one of those things that gets kind of lost in the annals of history. So it's always like a what if scenario. What if they decided, no, we're not going to kill Gwen. We're going to do something else or maybe not kill off any major character. Who knows? Who knows? But killing Gwen was a big deal because a lot of fans uh, were absolutely against it. There are fans who loved Gwen. Uh, death was kind of like a permanent thing for the comic book world. So if a character died, I mean, the characters were intended to be uh, mortal, you know. Uh, today, like, I think it's overdone to the point where major characters die so often, it's almost like, who cares? They're going to probably come back in another year or two. <laughs> in fact, I, I think I remember reading that Charles Xavier's died like 14 times in the comics since he was first created back in the 60s. So uh, back then, you know, death was a big deal. And uh, it also brought like, you know, a darker tone to comics, like, you know, Spider-Man kind of went ballistic. So if you if you've seen the Amazing Spider-Man movie with Andrew Garfield and uh, Emma Stone, the way that Gwen Stacy died in the comic was kind of done very similar to how it was done on film, where the Green Goblin, Norman Osborn's the one who who kills her. And in Retribution, I mean, they almost had it written that Spider-Man was going to kill Norman, uh, in retaliation, uh, he he comes to his senses and and pulls and stops himself from doing it, and Norman accidentally kills himself with the glider, uh, because again he wasn't aware of Spider Man's spider sense. But it, it's really dark material like that. You know that Spider Man, a hero who stands for truth and justice and doing what's right, was actually gonna maybe go step over the line that he shouldn't step over. So it kind of ushered in that darker era of comics. I feel uh, that whole story arc. That was written by by Jerry Conway. And then shortly after that, the Punisher character was created by Jerry Conway, introduced in the Amazing Spider-Man storyline. And the Punisher is a very, very dark character. So uh, it kind of represented a change of the guard, I think. So that's why I would consider the the whole story arc with the death of Gwen Stacy as being very significant for Spider-Man as a character, but also for comics in general. And what's kind of interesting, too, is that, you know, Jerry Conway, the the writer, had often said that Gwen was kind of bland in his opinion. But 
after she had died, you know, writers got to take their own interpretations of the character to do alternate realities of the Gwen Stacy character to make her, I guess, more appealing for a modern audience. Because in the podcast that I was listening to where um, people were interviewing uh, Jerry Conway, he says he loved uh, Emma Stone's portrayal of the character in the Amazing Spider-Man movies. So, and then we've also seen that in an alternate universe, Gwen Stacy becomes her own version of a Spider-Woman. So uh, I know people... Some people may have seen Gwen as being bland, but her dying actually probably made her a more interesting character in the long run, which is kind of cool, I think. So, yeah, it, it's very interesting to if you can go back and dig and find information about who is actually responsible for the death of Gwen. But regardless of who was responsible, it was done and it made a huge impact again, as I said, in the history of Spider-Man and in the history of comics. So I'm very much open to anyone who has information they'd love to share. I mean, I love just talking about this concept. I think it's really fascinating stuff. Um, so yeah, yeah, let me take another quick break and I'm gonna get to the last portion of this podcast, which is gonna be talking about the time I briefly got to meet Stan Lee twice. Okay, so stay tuned just a little bit. I'll be Welcome back, everybody, to the Casting for Fun podcast. So uh, one last segment to, to wrap up my uh, uh, Amazing Spider-Man 60th anniversary podcast. Uh, this is the story of how I got to briefly, very briefly, very briefly, uh, meet Stan Lee twice and have him sign my, my issue of Amazing Fantasy 15. Uh, so uh, Stan Lee, throughout his whole life, I mean, made constant uh, appearances at uh, comic conventions, interacting with the fans, uh, you know, signing autographs, taking pictures. It was something that he absolutely loved to do all the way up to his old age. In fact, I mean, I think he was doing it up until maybe about at least a year or two before he died. Uh, so it was really, really great that a lot of fans had the opportunity to get to meet him, even if it was super brief and, you know, get a picture or get an autograph. Uh, and I got to have the opportunity twice, which was really cool. So the, the L.A. Comic Convention, which is held at the L.A. Convention Center, uh, was taking place in uh, November of 2013. And Stanley was doing a photo op. So I, I, I purchased a ticket to do it. It was only, um, no, no, I apologize. Uh, okay, so the first time I got to meet Stan was actually for the signing of a uh, uh, Anything you wanted to bring, you can bring any type of memorabilia. He would sign it. In fact, sometimes I mean, because he's, uh, you know, helping and servicing so many fans that he would just go through really fast. I don't think he was really paying that much attention, but it was really cool to kind of be like in his presence so close to him. And uh, I had purchased a, a copy of Amazing Fantasy 15, the very first appearance of Spider-Man uh, on eBay for, for maybe like eight or ten bucks. Again, it was a reprint of uh, from the 90s. Uh, done like classic Marvel like uh, milestone edition but again it was the exact same artwork the exact same story that he had initially written way back in 1962 so I was able to get him to sign it and it was really awesome really cool experience for me but again for super brief but uh, it was still really fun then uh, a few months after that this would have been uh, February of 2014 he was going to be doing a guest appearance at the the Frankenson's uh, collectible warehouse in the city of industry, also here in the LA area. And he was going to be doing a photo op and a signing, but I already had my, my issue signed uh, by, by him. So a photo op I thought would actually be just as cool, maybe even cooler. So I was able to purchase a, a ticket for that. And, you know, again, super brief because they want to 
get all the fans in as quickly as they can. But I was able to just quickly say, hey, thanks, Stan. And he got to say in his uh, Stanley, you're welcome. Or however he does. I don't know. It's a really terrible Stanley on my on my part. But yeah, so I got to have just that super quick exchange and get a picture with him. So I was just on cloud nine. It was just so much fun. Really great. Uh, and, you know, he's meant so much to me as a fan and so many other people with his various creations, especially Spider-Man. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention. So after Stan had passed away, uh, the internet was just completely flooded with pictures that he had done with fans over the years. Because again, if there's ever been, there's never been anybody, any celebrity, I think, to really uh, give of their time to the fans more so than Stanley. Uh, in fact, there was a few celebrities who were kind of maybe calling out the fans, like, I guess, because they were saying to the effect of, hey, there's so many pictures on the internet, on, on Instagram and Facebook, like that were, we as the fans were kind of making it more about us. And, you know, <clears throat> not quite honoring and, and celebrating him after he had passed. Uh, and I can understand that aspect of it. But to be honest, what I think is really cool is that you can look back to that time frame when the Internet was just completely flooded with pictures of him with fans. Uh, how many other celebrities have taken their time to, to do that? I mean, can, can anybody name any other celebrity who uh, so many people have a picture with? Uh, so there's any been there's ever been anyone who's truly loved the fans and truly made an effort to to uh, uh, in engage with the fans and be nice to them and have fun with them. It's definitely it was definitely Stanley. So for that reason, I mean, I, I love his creations. I love everything he's done and given to us as a society for popular culture. It's been really great. It's been a huge part of my life and it's a huge part that I hope to instill and pass on to Avery and to Liam when they're older, especially Liam. I think Liam would be more inclined to want to like it, but Avery does too. I think Avery is at uh, that age where she loves to uh, uh, spend time and do the things that both her parents love. So yeah, I mean, again, that, I think it's a, a fitting tribute to the man himself and to Spider-Man and to everything he's created. So, so thank you, Stan. Uh, thank you for listening to the Casting for Fun podcast. For this week's episode uh, for me talking about Spider-Man and why I love the character so much. Uh, and please continue to, to listen, support. I really appreciate it. It's been so much fun for me. Okay, so stay tuned for really cool episodes coming up in the, the fall. It's been a great summer. And I'm looking forward to uh, football coming back and some more conversations about sports and other great topics that are going to be coming up in the next couple of weeks. So thank you again to everyone for listening to the Cast of the Podcast and for listening to this episode. Uh, celebrating the 60th anniversary of the Amazing Spider-Man. Okay, thanks everybody.